Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, and it's still cold outside. The world is still fearing the coronavirus, and yet we're still podcasting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. We've got lots of things to talk about. And this show is brought to you thanks to my patrons. They know who they are, but you might not know who they are. And so I'm uh, currently working my way through the list of the patrons, and I want to mention them to to thank them at the start of, of this show um, so that you kind of get a sense of, of the well the, the, the diversity of the people that, uh, that help me bring you this content. So I'm going very quickly through this this list i've gotten a number of uh, of of patrons here that i want to just say thank you to Kay, tobias rick eileen michelle justin stephen michael frank sergio matt louis or lewis martha father wachek jeremy edward stephanie zina Rick and Sydney, thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. And thanks to this community of patrons, you don't have to bother. I, I don't have to bother you, and you don't have to worry about advertisements and other stuff that uh, just keep messing up your podcast now, now, n- nowadays. So let's get on with it and you know talk on. about the news. This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. I am making plans for the the rest of the year, and I'm super excited because it, this is going to be a very different year from previous years. First of all, I've decided to not go on vacation this year. Uh, every year, I went with the same group of uh, fellow priests to a country in Europe, usually for two weeks or something. Uh, last year, I went to Ireland. Um, I've been to Scotland, to Italy, France, so, so many different countries. But this year, I decided to um, to to propose a, a change in, in the sense that we are going to uh, to go on a short vacation in January of 2021. For me, the biggest reason is that by doing that, I have the the whole summer uh, time available for uh, for filming and for media work. And uh, that is the, actually the best time of the year for me to make uh, documentaries and to, to make content for, for my TV shows and uh, hopefully also this year for my documentary channel on YouTube, uh, Father Roderick Stories, in case you're wondering and in case you're not still not yet subscribed. Um, and the summertime is great because you've got good weather and it's usually a time that it's a little bit cheaper to uh, to hire people because the summertime is usually a time where there, there you know there's not much work in the media sector because the work is done either you know at the beginning or at the end of the year but uh, rarely during the summertime so hopefully by ch- changing things up i may be able to uh, to make some more headway during these summer months i have one thing already uh, kind of in, I sketched out uh, uh, sometime in the month of August, or let's say the end of August, beginning... No, it's the end of August? Yeah, I think so. Beginning of September. For um, the Star Wars convention in Anaheim. Um, and uh, maybe I'll take a little bit more time uh, before and after so I can also uh, film a series um, while traveling through the United States. All this, of course, provided that the world won't be too much uh, affected by the current uh, corona pandemic. It's almost a pandemic right now. Um, so everything has to be a bit under, under how do you say that? Um, it, it, it <laughs> I don't know the word in English, but you, you can't really know for sure that you'll be able to travel easily and that there won't be, you know, any, you know, sealed off areas or whatever. We'll see. I hope that this Star Wars convention will actually happen in Anaheim. Uh, it's been years and years since I've been to one. And of course, these are exciting times to be a Star Wars fan. And to be able to combine that maybe with a, a trip through the western part of the United States, film some documentaries, I'd also really love to do some uh, 
some talks in parishes or for groups. So if you live in that area, um, you know, get in touch because I still have an open calendar right now. And if you think that there is an audience where you live um, and uh, you'd be able to to bring in some people that would be interesting interested in the stories that I have to share, then uh, by all means, we can always uh, uh, take that into account when we finalize our plans. And then in the month of May and June, I'm not sure yet either, I will be uh, filming um, a whole lot of documentaries, and I want to do that kind of in the same way as I filmed the Scotland documentaries. Um, So to leave for an extended extended period, for instance, two weeks, and film like 15 episodes uh, by by pre-planning a lot. And uh, I, I have some some ideas on what I would like to do. I'd like to travel to France, for instance. So start in the Netherlands and make it like a journey, like a road movie almost. Start in the Netherlands, then go through the western part of Belgium. And then uh, I would like to go to Brittany. Uh, it's a beautiful area in France, not very touristy. Um, and it, it shares uh, uh, the Celtic culture with Scotland and Ireland. And... Uh, it's a, it's a it's a very interesting region full of beautiful nature and also rich in Christian culture, which of course makes it uh, like a perfect destination for my type of documentaries. So that's one idea. Another idea would be to maybe travel to to Poland and travel through the northern part of of Germany. Maybe I'll do both. And of course, I've still in the back of my mind that that idea of going back to England and make a documentary that would not be for television, but would be uh, focused on the world of Harry Potter. Um, This is something that I have been wanting to do for many years, and I think that with my current experience, I could do something really unique. Uh, So that's that's another thing that I have in the back of my mind. I'm not sure if I can find time to do all that, but it's definitely cool to be able to make some plans. So that's... uh, that's, that's currently... And then I probably also have to go to Rome, which now would be the perfect time to go there. Uh, the northern part of Italy, of course, is uh, very much affected by the coronavirus and um, the, the travel. There are actually some travel restrictions. But that's not the case for Rome. In Rome, of course, you need to be careful. Uh, but there currently, there is not an outbreak there. And so uh, the... Uh, the the city and also the the entire you know southern part of Italy is very much impacted by the the whole corona situation um they they've they've got thousands and thousands of cancellations uh, so for the tourist industry this is a total disaster um I heard from my good friend uh, Mountain Batorak, who is a, a tour guide uh, and organizes pilgrimages in, in Rome, that uh, you know he's lost the majority of his business right now. Because people just don't dare to travel to Italy, whereas you know the actual risks traveling to Rome are very low. Uh, and of course, the city is, is quite empty now, right now, so it would be a perfect time to go there because you don't have to stand in line for everything. Um, so I'm, I'm still consider- I'm, I'm a bit careful because, of course, uh, as a pastor in the parish, I also have a responsibility to not get sick. That would be really not cool. But um, at the same time, I'm thinking, well, you know, I, I still have to film a number of episodes uh, for my TV show in Rome. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll wait until the end of the TV season so that I don't have that much, you know, just in the remote case that anything goes wrong, it won't affect my uh, my work. Um, so so maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll still travel to Rome to film something and uh, get some work done now that it's actually a lot quieter and probably also cheaper to go there than uh, when, when summer is in full swing. All right, with that, it's time for the world of movies and TV series. I've been watching a new television show on Netflix that has been around for seven years, I think, and I'm only now discovering it. And wow, I, I did miss out on something very cool. Uh, there's a cooking show I want to review. I want to talk a little bit more about this upcoming Lord of the Rings television series. Um, it's been very, very quiet, but there is something moving. So hopefully it's good. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like. 
the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. Hey, I'm, I'm currently watching the last season of uh, uh, the um, HBO show uh, Game of Thrones. Um, I've been watching that show um, kind of on and off. I'm, I'm often put off by the amount of violence and by the just the, the overall depressing nature of the story. It's not a moral tale at all. It's, it's, uh, it's almost as if anyone who's good or tries to be good, it gets killed or gets betrayed. It's, it's just a very bleak picture of, of humanity. Um, at the same time, it is spectacular storytelling. Uh, it's a beautifully produced series. I just wish the story would be a little bit more like Tolkien instead of uh, <laughs> Martin. But uh, so this last season um, is only a few episodes, um, and I, I, I'm still I still want to see kind of how it ends. Uh, it was a very controversial last season because of the way the story ended, apparently. Now, I've tried to stay spoiler-free as, mu as much as possible, but many people were disappointed that it wasn't the kind of fairy tale ending that they projected it to be. And uh, it ends on a kind of probably a, a not, not very hopeful note, which would be in line, I think, with the overall story. So I'm just watching this without any, you know, w without a wish list, because I know that wish lists are, uh, are useless for Game of Thrones. It always kind of dashes your hopes. In, in that respect, I, it's not a story that I like very much, but I do think it is spectacular television and, and really good storytelling. And by good, I mean technically good. It uh, keeps you on the edge of your seat. Uh, morally, not so good. So, but then when that's over, it's over. And uh, I still really like these big epic series. And I've been trying out several things. I've been watching a couple of episodes of Shannara, the Shannara Chronicles, which was produced for MTV. And it was just a little bit too much geared towards teenagers for me to appreciate it. Um, there are some good science fiction series. I'm still, still Altered Carbon is on my watch list, um, as well as... Ooh, what's the name of that show? Uh, based on the, it's on it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, the name escapes me, but I will just quickly look at the front page of Prime Video. <laughs> oh well, the Man in the, in the High Castle is still a show that I want to finish. Uh, Picard is fortu fortunately fortunately still going on. I'm in the working on the last few episodes of Parks and Recreation. Um, oh. That reminds me, I got to review another series that I've finished watching. Um, but I'll get to that maybe this week, maybe next week. So Man in High Castle is something I'm still waiting for, for Doctor Who uh, Series 11. It's still not available anywhere. It's been two years. Uh, and uh, that's the downside of all these streaming platforms. It's, you know, which deals can they close and which one can't? Can't they do? Uh, I was talking about The Expanse, uh, which is great science fiction as well. So I definitely also want to try out that series. But I was looking for something a bit in the vein of Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings. Uh, with that same, I don't know, vibe. And I came across Vikings. That is a series that I heard a lot about, but it was unavailable on any streaming platform where I lived. But I ran into some cosplayers a couple of years ago, uh, Vikings, and they told me that it was a great series and they especially recommended it to me because of the religious aspects of the story. And just recently it appeared on Netflix and so I've started watching it. And here's the sound of the, of the trailer for the first season. I saw something. You see, the gods desire you to have a great future, but they can withdraw their goodwill at any time. The laws of men are far below the workings and shapings of the gods. What are you afraid of? You and I will always be equal. All the friends and companions of my youth are dead. Feasting and drinking in the halls of the gods. 
<laughs> they tried to do these northern accents. They speak. They all speak English, but they still, you know, my friends in Valhalla. Try to give it a little bit of an exotic uh, flavor. The music of this trailer is terrible, by the way. Well, this this will go on for a while. But anyway, it's a it's a very uh, good looking series. It it is a much more historically based, of course, than the fantasy story of Game of Thrones or the Tolkien stories. So, and it was originally produced for the History Channel. So it means that uh, what you see is at least, well, of course, the story itself is fictional, but it really tries to portray the, the well, the, the historic events and the culture of the Vikings based on what we know of that particular uh, society. And as what I've heard, and that's not immediately obvious in the first episode that I've watched so far, um, this will also talk about the clash of this, this, you know, the religious culture of the Vikings, multiple gods and a lot of, what, well, Christians would consider superstition, and then the Christian uh, faith in the countries that they try to conquer. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing how they will play with that, and uh, especially because it, 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 it wants to be uh, historically based. Um, well, that, that may be also very enlightening and, 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 enlightening and, and, uh, and interesting. So, so I, I'm... I, I will pr probably have some thoughts about uh, about this series. I'm looking forward to it. it, it I'm already really uh, impressed impressed by the first season, even though this is made in 2013, probably even shot before that in 2012. But anyway, the world watched this in 2013, but it looks surprisingly good and um, slightly lower budget than uh, than Game of Thrones, um, but still, you know, very acceptable. Um, and and also timeless. I mean, if you have told me that this was uh, produced two years ago, I still I would have believed it because it it doesn't age that that much. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, continuing this uh, particular series, and it fills kind of a, a a gap while we are we are waiting for the Lord of the Rings television series. Speaking of which. Um, we knew that 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 preparations for this series were un underway. They also decided to film in New Zealand, yay! And they had uh, uh, made an announcement about the first, well, part of the of the cast for the first season. The the series, by the way, has already been renewed for the second season, even though no one has ever has seen anything, and uh, the series is still in mostly in pre production. Although I think that production is coming. It's coming soon, um, and that's obvious because, uh, and understandable, Amazon poured billions in in this franchise. So of course they're going to renew all the seasons. This needs to be a success, otherwise they'll they'll never recoup their investment. Um, but we saw the first photo behind the scenes, and uh, th there is a link in the show notes now. Don't get your hopes up. You don't see any costumes. You don't see any of the main characters. What you see instead is a tree, or at least the top of a tree. Uh, this is a photo that was shared by uh, director Bayona, who, who directs the first two episodes. Um, and it was a uh, behind-the-scenes photo from a night shoot where they were lighting uh, an outdoor set, and the light from the set cast uh, on top of a tree which made it look in the darkness like a strange cloud from a Miyazaki movie, one of those Japanese movies where, you know, it talks about castles in the sky, etc. Um, so, but it, it is still, you know, a beautiful tree. Um, and, well, of course, everybody starts speculating, like, oh, is the, are the trees going to be as important as in the Lord of the Rings story? Are we going to see ends? Uh, there, there are so many possibilities what i like is that of course this is a real life set they're filming this on location and of course there will be uh maybe a lot of green screen work uh, i don't think they're going to work with virtual sets like what they did with the mandalorian but still this is going to be heavy on the special effects as you can imagine but a lot of the locations will still be real locations, which I think the Lord of Rings needs. You, you can't do a, a Middle-Earth series in the way that George Lucas filmed the prequels, for instance, everything against blue or green screen. And, and maybe even some of the sets of The Hobbit, 
were indoor sets, were studio sets, and you could just you could tell it didn't look real. <laughs> so here's hoping that that um, the the majority of the of the series will be filmed in out outdoors and, and and we'll have this realistic feeling because we all want middle earth to be real right um, we also got some news about uh, a lead role that has been cast and uh actor maxim baldry has been cast a relatively young uh, actor hasn't done much as far as i could tell However, there's one franchise that he's been involved with uh, that we all know, and that is Doctor Who. So he had a role in, in the Doctor Who series, I, I presume in one of the later seasons that I haven't seen yet because I didn't recognize the face of the actor. But um, it's good to, to have a leading role played by someone who at least has some experience in, in, in a major kind of geek franchise. Most of the people that were cast, by the way, are unknowns. So they're going to be fresh faces which is probably also good because you don't want your your middle earth i don't know world be too much shaken up by like hey i know that actor it wasn't he commander in star trek and so and so that happens far too often it takes you out of the story so i applauded that they went for relatively unknown actors as long as they're good I think that they'll become famous by, by partaking in this adventure anyway. Um, there's also another television series that is currently already in production. They're already filming in the Czech Republic, which is based on the Wheel of Time. And uh, we've had a few more glimpses behind the scenes and some spy photos of sets. All that looks really good, too. That is also a massive franchise that um, I think is also done, is also produced by Amazon. So... Uh, with, with The Lord of the Rings and The Wheel of Time and then The Witcher. Uh, these are great times for fantasy, for big-budget fantasy productions. And there's still part of me hoping that they will give Shannara another chance as well because that kind of stopped after, I think, two seasons uh, because it didn't find its audience on, on MTV. But I think the story itself merits uh, maybe another try. Why not? We, we live in the age of, uh, of reboots, so why not with these big franchises? Uh, we're also, of course, very curious about the Dune um, series that is... Or is it a series or is it a movie? I don't know. But anyway, that's, that's also nearing completion, so that's going to be interesting. In other news, I keep thinking about related topics. Uh, you may have heard that uh, the newest... James Bond movie that was already completely finished is going to be postponed for seven months because of the coronavirus. And this is because the Chinese market has always been very lucrative for the James Bond movies. But now that the China is still struggling to contain the virus, nobody goes to movie theaters. And so, and they can't just postpone China and then have the rest of the world watch James Bond because, of course, the uh, the, the the movie would be pirated uh, at, at a scale never seen before. So from a business point of view, I totally understand that they moved this to the towards the end of the year. And, and of course, then we need to hope that the virus is at least under control, which you never know, because with the previous corona variants, um, the virus would um, would start to to go away in the summertime. That's just because human behavior is different in the summer. That's why we rarely get a common cold in the in the summer months. But then it came back with a vengeance and made many more victims uh, towards the end of the year. The same could happen, of course, with the coronavirus as well. Maybe in the next couple of months it's going to, to subside. In the, in the best case scenario, of course, there are many other scenarios that uh, are more doom and gloom. But even if it, uh, it, it kind of ebbs away in the summertime, it doesn't mean that it doesn't come back later in the year. The only difference may be that there will be a, a vac uh, you know, a, a vaccine uh, available. Uh, although, even on that level, some people say, well, that, that will still take another year for, for vaccination to be available on a, on a worldwide scale. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, another show that you may want to check out on Netflix is uh, stars none other than John Favreau, the director and creator of The Mandalorian and uh, also part of The Avengers, of course. Uh, and he is both in front and behind the cameras in many, many Marvel-related productions. 
a great guy. He uh, produced a, a movie called Chef a number of years ago, and uh, it's a delightful movie. I loved, loved, loved that movie. I've seen it several times. It's about uh, uh, a cook in a restaurant that uh, is really has lost his 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 passion for cooking, and then uh, rents uh, a a van and starts to travel around in the United States cooking for people on location on the spot. And uh, and rediscovers his his love for cooking. Um, what they did on Netflix was to create a series where the the so John Favreau directed, but also played the main character, the lead in that in 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 the movie Chef. He actually goes and revisits some of the chefs that starred in the movie and cooks with them. And it's a it's a great cooking show. Uh, very very. Uh, um, Appetizing. It's it's uh, it's produced in a very simple way. It's almost as if it's uh, reality TV. Uh, they didn't do much editing. Uh, there's just a couple of cameras uh, surrounding the people involved in the cooking. But it's the overall chemistry that John has with the the other people in the kitchen that that makes it so good. And he is willing to learn because, of course, he was playing a chef, but he wasn't a chef, and he had to learn every every recipe. Uh, from real chefs while he was filming uh, the movie. And now, again, he, he wants to learn how to become a be better cook. But then you have, like, there's an episode that I watched where he's cooking something for, for a fresh, uh, a French chef, I think. Um, and he's constantly being berated. It's like, no, 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 don't do that like this. You have to do it like that. And, you know, he's very humble. <laughs> and and it's, uh, it, so you get, you identify with him. You're like, wow, if I were in his place, I'd probably mess up in the same way. So it's not someone who who pretends to be perfect at what he does, uh, quite on the contrary. And it's this stumbling, this learning process that makes it so appealing. So uh, highly recommend it. It's called The the Chef uh, the chef Show, I think. Is it The Chef Show? Uh, let me see if I, can, uh, if I can play the trailer here, if I can get the uh, audio up. Um, and it's it's still well filmed. <laughs> when we all come together for a meal, <laughs> you appreciate it because it doesn't happen all the time. Hey, Tom, that looks like your first oyster right there. That, that one right, right there, there, that, that particular one. Good. And you just slurp it down. Yeah. Oh, really good. So that, that was Tom Holland. So he sometimes has celebrity guests I used to as well. All the time when he was training me, and then the movie came out and it all ended. It's like and being so dumb. It yeah. really was. It was like, when are we cooking again? How do you know when that's done? I'm looking at the cheese, I'm looking at the bottom. I saw you and Chef making that grilled cheese sandwich. That's why I'm here. That's crazy. So much of our culture lives in our food. And if you ate something growing up and you have a taste for it, you seek it out, that's gonna keep that alive. The food sticks with you. Thank you for having us in your kitchen. By the way, do you guys curse on this show? I guess we just started doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's called The Chef Show, and it's available on Netflix. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here on The Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics and their strange habits and traditions. But you're afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? But today I want to give some explanations based on a weird dream that I had last night. You won't believe what I dreamt. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. So in my dream, I, uh, I, I went through an, an interesting but also uh, very confronting experience. I received a call from the nearby hospital that um, someone had fallen ill with the coronavirus and was being quarantined and everybody was in uproar and uh, there was a high chance of contamination and they were still looking into where this person had been. But it turned out that that person in my dream was a very devout Catholic and had respiratory problems. And there was a real risk that that person would die from the virus. And since all the symptoms were there, uh, he was still 
super contagious. And that person, uh, through an intermediary my dream didn't specify, had asked for the anointment of the sick, wanted to receive the sacraments. And so the question was asked to me, would you please come over and give this man the sacrament of the anointment of the sick? And in my dream, I was panicking. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Can I do that? But what if it's, I mean, it's super contagious. What if I get corona? And uh, if I go there and I want to, you know, give him the anointment of the sick, what if I fall ill at the same time? Or at least if I go there, I'll probably have to be in isolation also for at least two weeks so that they can see if I get, uh, you know, if I have the, the virus or not. And even, you know, even if, if I, stay, I manage to stay clear of the virus, how do I even do that? Do I touch the patient? Do I have to dress up in a hazmat suit? Or I, I woke up kind of struggling with the idea of, well, I wouldn't know what to do. And so I started to do some research because I was like, well, what if the virus starts to spread and we get this pandemic and it, it starts to affect uh, thousands and thousands of people? This is actually not just a dream. This could be a reality for not just for me, but, be, but for, for, for many other priests as well. What do you do? in case someone who is affected with a contagious disease and still asks for the sacrament. I found this interesting article online, and again, there will be a link in the show notes in case you're interested in the show notes. You can find that at on tridio.com, T-R-I-D-E-O.com, um, where uh, a, a both a, a, a medical expert and, and a canon law expert go through this entire question, and this was written when another variant uh, of the coronavirus, at least I think it's a variant, the Ebola, no, I think Ebola is not, SARS, SARS and MERS were, were uh, coronaviruses. But anyway, the Ebola virus was also was very lethal, dangerous, and contagious. And so the question that spurred this article was, what? how can we uh, be pastoral, how can we... How can we help pe people in a pastoral and, and how can we exert? Ah, my English is not working today. How, how can we uh, have pastoral care for people that are suffering from a contagious disease? So, first of all, uh, the medical part of the article uh, explains the steps needed to be able to approach a patient that is highly contagious and that is in isolation. And it uh, turns out there are international protocols for that. So the first thing that would need to happen is permission from the medical staff, from the doctors, that as a priest, you would be able to, to, uh, to approach a patient and yeah, you'll have to go through the 15 steps, I think, of, of, of you know, the procedure of being able to approach the, uh, the patient. But once that medical, and then of course there are all sorts of decontamination issues, and maybe in in case of uh, the coronavirus, uh, mandatory isolation. So you you'd have to sacrifice two weeks where you can't you can't be of pastoral help to anyone else. That one patient patient may uh, require the sacrifice of a priest of two weeks after uh, this encounter. But then there are also a lot of questions on the liturgical uh, part and the, 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 the canon law aspects of this. And the first thing that the, the article, I think, justly mentions is that the anointment of the sick is for people that are sick and that may get better. But if, if someone is dying, uh, then the, the uh, final sacraments or the, uh, how do you call that? The... Um, uh, well, well, anyway, the sacrament that is that is given to people that are on the verge of dying is not the anointment of the sick, but it is the Eucharist. And it's called the viaticum in, in Latin, which means uh, it is what goes with you on your journey, in this case, your last journey. And so the, the Eucharist is actually the, the last sacrament um, that is recommended. But also the communion, of course, has to be distributed. Um, the anointment of the sick is still some something that is 
you know, likely that that someone who is a Catholic and and has been contaminated with a virus that may be life threatening that that a person could ask for, and so in this case, the the sacrament of the, the anointment of the sick is done with an uh, it has a number of elements. So the most important ones are. Uh, you lay the hands on the head of, of the person who is sick, and then you anoint the forehead and the palms of the hand with oil, olive oil that has been blessed by the bishop. And that involves physical contact. Um, so you can't do this through telephone or by Skype. It, it, and and all, all the sacraments have this physical uh, presence that is required. Um, so... It, and it involves touching. Now, there are already in canon law provisions for a situation where, for instance, you cannot uh, touch the hands. It may be because, well, there are no hands. That's possible. <laughs> or uh, there are all sorts of tubes that prevent you from doing the anointment. So it can, still, it can only be the forehead or any other part of the body. Uh, so canon law has give is you know, it's 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 not a magic trick. So it's it's all about the nearness, the closeness of God in in this sacrament to the person that is ill that matters. But it still has you know physical uh, interaction. Um, so and and then it, there is even a provision I didn't know about that, and I I'm not sure if it's in canon law or if, or if it's specified elsewhere um, that normally the anointment would be given by the you know the the priest using his thumb usually uh, and the oil and then uh, touching the forehead but there is also a possibility to use a tool for that for instance co cotton or something like that so if someone is super contagious you could use a bit of cotton uh, drench that with oil and use that to touch the the body of the person who is afflicted it gets more complicated with another sacrament that often accompanies the anointment of the sick, and that is the sacrament of confession. It, the, uh, if, if someone who is terminally ill and wants to receive uh, forgiveness for maybe mortal sins that could endanger the, uh, the, his, his eternal soul, then that is uh, a request that is uh, very important to, to be able to fulfill. If, if someone asks for confession and that person is on his or her deathbed, then by all means you should be able to provide that person with that forgiveness. Um, but the thing is, what if you cannot approach the patient? What if there is uh, a situation where, for instance, you can only get... Uh, uh, to the adjacent room and there will be a window through which you can see the patient and you'll have to use an intercom or something like that or a phone system enabled to communicate with that person. What if there has to be uh, uh, a doctor or a nurse at all times near the patient in the room? Can you still uh, have a confession in that situation? Because of, as you can imagine, confession is very private and is bound with secrecy. There, everything that is said in the context of a confession can never leave that room uh, and may never be divulged on the punishment of, of excommunication, uh, immediate ex excommunication of, of the priest or anyone else who would uh, uh, divulge what has been confessed in, in under the seal of confession. Um, what complicates this is that the sacrament has always to has always got to be administered in the presence of the person who receives the sacrament. So it's impossible to confess through the internet or via Skype or on the phone. Um, and there is a very good reason, or actually two very good reasons. One is Jesus gives us the Jesus is, is the one who, who gave us the sacraments. And so when you look at Jesus, he always touches people he goes to them he doesn't write them a letter to heal them he that so the, the 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 physical nearness of jesus to the patient uh is already is, is of vital importance to the sacraments we 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 what if i administer the sacraments i do that in 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 the name of of jesus so it is it, it makes sense that you you want to have that physical nearness just as jesus had but the, the second aspect is um in in case of the of confession um 
it's got to be foolproof, right? That's why we have confessionals. That's why normally for a confession, you would always go to a place where no one else can overhear what is being said. Um, and so there is privacy that needs to be guaranteed. And, well, imagine if we would use phones or Skype or whatever for a confession. Um, the, the risks of, of losing the, the privacy, losing or breaking the seal of confession with everything that can go wrong in our online communication, that's a risk you don't want to... You don't want to run. So, but what if there is a situation where you can only communicate with the patient through an intercom or through a phone? Would that still be valid? Well, again, there are some exceptions to the rules in, in canon law that are actually enable uh, or allow the person to receive the forgiveness of his sins and to make a valid confession even if, if you have to communicate through a window, for instance, what is required is that the, the patient is able to see the, the priest and able to hear the priest and it can, can use a phone system or an intercom system to communicate with the patient, provided that the seal of confession is not in danger. So, for instance, if there is a nurse or a doctor in the room while the confession takes place, then that person falls under the seal of confession and can be uh, seen from a candle law per, uh, perspective as an interpreter. So, it is possible to confess through an in interpreter. Let's say, for instance, you're in a foreign country, you're dying and you want to confess to a priest who doesn't speak your language. In that case, it's possible to enlist an interpreter who will uh, translate your confession and translate the words of the priest. But that person would be uh, held to the seal of confession with the same kind of punishment if that person breaks the seal of confession. In the situation that you cannot guarantee that secrecy or you have doubts about the, 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 the seal of confession in this case, then it is possible that the person still has a kind of a general confession without mentioning specific sins. So it is always possible in, in, in dire cases for a priest to give the absolution, even if the sins themselves have not been mentioned you know, by name. Um, so what, what, what I like about this article is that it again stresses how much canon law and these rules and regulations are there to protect what is valuable and, but it's always the pastoral, uh, the pastoral need or the pastoral care is primary. So there are all, there are always solutions, even if you know it means kind of going around the usual the regular rules. What what matters is that that person can experience the nearness of Christ in 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 moments of distress. The same is true for communion. If, for instance, the priest cannot be in the same room uh, someone uh, like for instance a catholic nurse or doctor could can be designated as as an extraordinary minister of of the of the communion and can bring the communion to the patient it has to be uh, the patient has will have to be able to swallow the the communion so to really consume the host um, and if that's not possible then it's even possible to uh, administer communion uh, by using consecrated wine. That is very, very limited what you can do with that. But it is possible to, even a drop of consecrated wine can be administered to the patient and the, the purification has to be done by the patient himself. So there are a lot of, of, of uh, very interesting, very minute uh, uh, descriptions of, of how, to, how to proceed in that case. But it's all meant to both guarantee the the confidentiality of the situation, the sacrality of the, of the sacrament, um, and, and the care uh, for, for the patient. That, that all uh, is the, what comes first. And then if you start with those principles, then it's easier to find the practicalities of how to administer uh, the sacrament. So I was kind of um, reassured that it is possible to give the, the anointment of the sick, so what would happen if my dream were a, re were a reality? Someone would call me and would ask for the sacrament of the, the anointment of the sick. I would have to go through the, first of all, I would need to get permission from the staff. If you don't get that, well, you can't break the law, of course. Um, in, in, in case you couldn't, you know, you wouldn't get permission to give that sacrament, uh, what you can always do and should always do is to pray. 
So you can go either to the hospital, to a nearby room, maybe in a situation where the patient is able to see that you are there, maybe with some people from the parish, or or you could communicate to the person that you are praying for him or her, either in the hospital or or at the parish. So that's something you can, you can always do something. But in case you are allowed to go into the room with the patient, then of course you would go and, and, and protect yourself as much as possible against contamination. You have to follow all the medical rules. And then it is possible to, to uh, give the anointment of the sick by using a tool, for instance, a piece of cotton and, uh, I don't know, a, a pair of pliers or something like that, to be able to have that physical contact with the patient. So I was actually very grateful for that dream because now I know what to do. And now you know too. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? This week, I'm reading a very, in my quest to read one book per week, I'm reading a fascinating audiobook. I'm listening to a fascinating audiobook about the United States and the, especially United States politics and the United States presidential election. This is a series of, of, um, of, courses actually that were given by an, uh, a historian in the Netherlands who's pretty well known from television, uh, Martin van Rossum. He's kind of a, a, a very unconventional professor. Uh, so he's always on TV. He has a very, he's very opinionated, opinionate, opinionated. So that's how you say it. So uh, he, he, oh, and he always has an opinion about everything. But he's got a, a, an interesting sense of humor. Um, you know, in his appearance, he's always unshaven, doesn't care at all for how he what how he looks. Um, but he's a very good st- storyteller, and so in in he, he's got the book consists of four courses that he gave, uh, where he goes through a recent history of the United States and uh, and then goes on to explain uh, all these these things that you hear about in the news and. Uh, there is so much political news from in the United States, almost on a continuous basis, especially with their, this current president that always uh, uh, manages to dominate the news cycles. I mean, I, I, sometimes I pity people that live in the United States because it's like every day it's always about Trump, always. <laughs> and so and, and, and that takes up space. And it all also, I think, from a European perspective, kind of narrows the vision uh, if if you only get your news from from TV and from the newspapers, it's as if the United States takes up like eighty percent of what's happening in the world, and then yeah, we may mention two or three feel good stories from the rest of the world, but everything is always told in relation to what it means to the American uh, uh, situation, and uh, well. That means that you also don't get to hear about a lot of very important global uh, events and and trends that may, over time, affect the, uh, the the country of the United States as much as it does as it does the rest of the world. But sometimes this will take some time. Um, so anyway. Uh, since we hear so much about American politics and we currently have this whole selection of who's going to be the presidential candidates candidate for uh, the Democrats, and then that will be followed, of course, by this ongoing, very fatiguing uh, <laughs> process of, you know, the whole election process. Um, this is very, very helpful for me as a European to, to hear about uh, the background of the election and uh, 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 also, you know, the terms like gerrymandering. You hear that all the time, and I had no clue what that meant. Um, uh, the the importance of, of money and media exposure in uh, American politics, that, that has always baffled me. Like, how much, how important it is to do fundraising for a campaign and 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 that you know the the amount of money and we're talking about millions per day sometimes for some some candidates how much that will make or break uh, a political political candidate now of course money always plays a certain role but it is so out of proportion in the american situation and we've seen the efforts of uh uh what's his name this billionaire um uh, 
I well, anyway, <laughs> who buys all these ads? And I even get bombarded with these advertisements. I'm not even an American person, but uh, I, like it's it's inserted in the YouTube streams. Uh, you see advertisements um, on on websites you visit. Uh, it's just crazy how much this money is necessary for the pol political process. Uh, as a uh, kind of a comparison in the Netherlands, where, of course, we don't have a two-party situation, thank God. <laughs> we have coalitions and you have many different political parties. But the, the threshold to, to be part of the political process is much lower than in the United States. You don't need much money here to to uh, start a political movement or to even you know be successful in politics um, also because for instance television airtime is sponsored by the state and it's divided over all the political parties so they do have the, some they get funding for for uh, the use of, of public media um, so it kind of evens the field which to me sounds much more um, I don't know, more, more, more honest as a system. And it gives other parties also a chance to make some headway and to, to counterbalance sometimes the situation. What, what if in, right now in the, in the United States, I, I rarely talk about politics, of course, because it's, it, it can divide my audience. I don't want that. But just if you look at it from an objective point of view, the current system is really restrictive. Uh, you may want to vote for one party because of its ethical stance or because of on certain uh, issues like abortion. They have a, a specific stance and you want that. That is very important. And the other party may, may make choices uh, and propagate certain policies that are incompatible with your faith. But on the other hand, the, the party that maybe on one issue may be very much in line with your, your own beliefs may have a totally different uh, position on other things like war or capital punishment or uh, any, uh, the, the aid to uh, you know foreign aid or something like that that are also opposite to what you believe in. And the other party may actually be much more open to, to you know things that are compatible with what you believe in. So you're always between a rock and a hard place in the United States because you only have two parties. And yes, of course, there's also a third party, but you know that they will never, in this current system that is so based on on money uh, and, and, and media exposure, that third party will never become a player. Uh, another difference uh, between the United States and, and European countries is how much power one president has. And uh, just the the... the, the the sea change that can happen between one president and another, that would be unthinkable in, in our countries. And I am so glad with our situation where a president, yes, we have uh, a prime minister, and in some countries you have presidents, but they will never be able to kind of overrule the, 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 the coalition-based uh, uh, political process, which makes it much easier to course correct when, when things get out of hand. And uh, you don't get that this this scary concentration of power in just one person with one party that is, and then for four years you're stuck with that without much correction. Even though, well, the Senate may change and the House may change, but even then, uh, you still have a lot of executive power with with the president. Now, of course, that that for us to understand wh why the American system is what it is. History is, is of vital importance. And so that's why I'm really enjoying re listening to this audiobook. It's, it's still not a, uh, a political situation that I would ever trade in for, for what we have over here in Europe. But at least this historical uh, narrative helps me understand how this came about. Because if you don't have the background of, of why the United States is what it is, um, it's, it, you just don't understand it. <laughs> and, and so even though the American culture is uh, extremely dominant right now in the world, especially in the Western world and here in Europe, well, with, with even with the stuff we watch in Netflix and Amazon and Disney, it's all American culture, American mass media that is, is exported. And, and now that it is so easy to, to distribute that through the Internet, um, American dominance, American culture dominance has never been this strong before. But that doesn't mean that, that if you have this cultural 
uh, spread of, of, of American values, etc. It doesn't mean that politically and on other levels, even religiously, you're on the same level. And I've noticed that many times before that even though I, I love America, I, I have great friends there, and there are many aspects of the, of the lifestyle, of the kind of the attitude of Americans that I, uh, uh, that I admire and have learned from. There are also a lot of aspects of the American political climate and even sometimes the religious climate, especially look at how polarized the American Catholic Church is right now. That's, ugh, this is very unhealthy. And it's, it's uh, and, and I sometimes have a, the idea that, that some groups in, in the U.S. are much more Protestant than they actually realize. Even groups that consider themselves to be very orthodox and very conservative, conservative are actually, their attitude is very Protestant from, from my point of view. So there are a lot of things that, that are very, outlandish to to me as a european and diff and 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 strange and and difficult to understand so um but that's why i love to learn and and history my dad always used to tell us history is maybe the most important thing that you learn in school and if you forget about history if you don't understand how cultures came about and um, what the history is of certain uh, country, certain situations, you will not under, you will not know what to do in the future. History informs us about the choices to make in the future. So ah, that's why I do a little bit of nonfiction reading uh, these days. And with that, it is oh, it's already high time to move over to a different segment that has to do with comic books. And I have a jingle for that. I'm quite keen on comic books, especially the ones about superheroes. I find the whole mythology surrounding superheroes fascinating. You ever try these comics? No. You know something? No, what? You read too many comic books. <laughs> so I actually haven't read uh, any comic books for a long time because I had cancelled my subscription to Marvel Unlimited. I was happy with Marvel Unlimited until... They started to uh, impose taxes. So the American pricing culture means that you never get to see the full price. And if you, for instance, if you order a meal or something like that and, you, and then you have to pay, then all of a sudden you get all this added tax and it, it depends from state to state how much that is. Uh, over here, you know, everything is taxed and they always advertise the price, including taxes, which makes it, easier to to see the, the true cost of something and so that was true with uh, the so the online taxing system has changed over time in the United States as well and so all of a sudden instead of paying I don't know five euros per month for for Amazon uh, for uh, Marvel Unlimited it became like seven or eight bucks per month uh, like I think I had to pay like 85 euros for uh, a a year-long subscription. So they had a special offer in uh, the month of January and February. So you could, I think it was about 20% off. And I decided to bite the bullet and, and, and renew my uh, subscription to Marvel Unlimited because of the Star Wars novels, actually, or S Star Wars comics, uh, to be honest. They have, uh, they don't have the most recent comics, uh, but they do have uh, quite uh, quite an archive right now of of canon Star Wars comics. And so, for instance, you have the comic version of the Last Jedi, and over time, we'll, we'll probably get access to the comic book version of the Return of, uh, sorry, the uh, the Rise of Skywalker, and uh, that's something that I'm very interested in. S Things start to leak out. Well, I just read an article, which I, li I will link to in the show notes, about the novelization and also the comic book series based on the return, uh, the the rise of Skywalker. And what makes this so interesting is, of course, Rise of Skywalker was a very compact, condensed movie uh, where they cut out so much important information so that it was reduced to the essential things. For instance, you know, the Emperor is back. How can that be? I mean, he was killed by Darth Vader. Well, apparently the comic books and the books will expand upon that and will include information that was actually meant to be in the movie, but that they just cut out thinking, well, well, people will just, they'll, they'll learn that later. <laughs> so uh, on, the, on the upcoming Blu-ray version of, of The Rise of Skywalker, there won't be any deleted scenes. 
So that's a bummer, probably because they want to sell us another expanded version later down the road. They've always done that. Um, but those uh, that the extra information and the deleted scenes will be part of the narrative of the novelization and the comic book version. And uh, we have already heard some of the details, and it's very interesting. Um, it's it, it doesn't fix all the problems that some people have with the script, um, but it, it, it gives it a little bit more background, and at least it's, it's good to know. Like, for instance, okay, so Ray is the granddaughter of Palpatine. Okay, uh, what about her father? Who was he? Um, did Palpatine have a concubine, or uh, was he married? Or at one point, th th that seems so unlikely. Well, it turns out uh, there is another explanation for that. So for that reason, I actually resubscribed to uh, to Marvel Unlimited, and I've I've started to read a series that was started a couple of years ago, uh, based on the character of Darth Vader, and then that series got a spin off about uh, I think uh, like a an, uh, like an officer. Uh, so someone who works for the Empire. So it's, uh, th there are some some characters that only exist in the comic book realm of Star Wars, and uh, uh, the Darth Vader uh, comic book is or series is really good, very well done, good, good, beautiful uh, artwork, and also a pretty good story. So I'm enjoying that uh, a lot. Also, going to read. Um, I just saw an ad for that series. It's about like this big global war that takes place in all these different parallel universes and then ends up in New York. And then all the Avengers and all the Marvel superheroes have to start to save New York. So it's kind of like a, a bit of, of a, you know, Marvel Endgame type of story, but in comic book version. That has, of course, not been turned into a movie yet. But it's one of those series, and, and Marvel does a pretty good job with that, where they... Uh, uh, they write, of course, kind of specialized uh, uh, series where you have to have a lot of background information to to get w what the story is about. But they also create series where it's much easier, even if you haven't read a comic book in your life, to start reading that particular adventure, and you will still be able to follow the story and enjoy it. So, um, I, And I, that's the kind of stuff that I'm reading. So I won't go into all the minutia of certain, you know, very unknown superheroes where... With where you have to go work your way through years and years of storytelling before you can follow uh, certain certain storylines, but I'll start with these kind of you know low threshold type of, of series, and there is such an abundance of, uh, of of stories that are available. I mean, we're talking about decades of content that you can access digitally, and I really still love the. Um, the magic panel, I'm not sure if that's the way you call it, but uh, they have this this feature where uh, you, you kind of zoom over the pages. So normally you would see just the entire page, like in a PDF, and you have to zoom in manually to see the details. Well, Marvel has this this uh, technology where they, they zoom in on parts of the picture, then they zoom out, uh, they go from text bubble to text bubble, and it makes it almost as if you're watching like an animated slideshow of the comic, and it is sometimes highlighting details that you would never see. Even if you had the physical comic, you wouldn't probably not notice how well something is drawn, but this technique enables them to focus, to zoom in on, 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 on just the beauty of of the comics that you're reading. And I really like it. The only thing that I wish is to have new glasses because my eyes are terrible right now and I just don't have time to go and get new glasses. I'm also thinking about getting, you know, v uh, bifocal or multifocal lenses. They're, they're, although I hear mixed reports on the, uh, on, on the quality of those. But I do really need to get new reading glasses for, for stuff like this because reading on a, on a tablet... It's still small. I have uh, like a five-year-old uh, iPad, um, and it's it's too small for my eyes. It's still uh, it's, it's fatiguing to read. I've been contemplating getting myself an iPad Pro, like the bigger ones, the twelve point three or something like that inch, but those are still so expensive. They're almost a thousand bucks, and they're not expendable. There's no SD slot. It's oh, Apple. It's Apple. You know, it's great quality, but my goodness, the, the limitations. So I'm, I'm hoping that maybe sometime soon you, we will see a big Surface tablet, maybe Samsung or 
maybe one of those Chinese manufacturers will come with a uh, with a big screen tablet um, that is based on Android because my phone is currently Android. I still work with the iPad, but it's very limiting. The only alternative that I have to read the the Marvel comics on a big screen is by using I'm not kidding an Android emulator on on my PC and then I use the Marvel app in the emulator and then I can project it on my big screen monitor and that's actually not such a bad way to read comics it's just not very relaxing because I'm sitting on this desk chair and it, when I'm in front of a computer that's because I have to work so it's di- it's a different experience from reading in a you know in a so on the sofa or something like that, or in bed um, so it's not ideal maybe maybe sometime in the future we will get a VR based way of reading these comics I can totally imagine uh, this panel by panel technique being implemented on a virtual screen inside my Oculus Quest it's not there yet maybe in the future I'll keep you posted I'm quite- Actually, I just played this one. It's not, I need to wrap things up here. I've been talking for way too long. Just a quick tip. Um, there is this awesome picture that Mar- the Mars rover Curiosity made super detailed panorama photo of Mars. And uh, there's a very cool video that I'll link to in the show notes. That's it for this week. Thank you so much if you're a patron. And if you want to become a patron and listen to my weekly show recorded exclusively for patrons, check it out on patreon.com slash Father Thanks for listening. See you next week.